0: Hello and welcome back to Total Reboot, the only podcast on the internet that has the courage and fortitude to discuss cinema, the most popular art form in the history of Movie going and other activities. My name is Alexi Toliopoulos, and with me, as always, is my dashing co host, Cameron James.
1: It's a pleasure to be here, and I have organized a pizza to be delivered halfway through this
0: recording
1: because we are doing the podcast times of Ridgemont High.
0: Oh, that is awesome! Podcast times? My yes, lord. That's
1: what a modern teen's high school experience would be like.
0: Podcast times at Ridgemont High. Every teen has their own podcast these days. Mm. They're all podcasting.
1: Even uh, there's character in the most famous movie of all time, Ghostbusters Afterlife, called Mm -hmm. Podcast.
0: I know. I I didn't get up to him when I tried watching 15 minutes of the movie, (laughs) but I've heard Prey Tell about podcasts. One of my favorite characters in a movie that i've yet to witness but i know i love that little guy he seems like a little me it was so exciting when
1: i saw that part in the movie because it's like you know when you're watching a movie and there's an australian character in it Mm -hmm. and you kind of feel national pride (laughs) that's how i felt when the the character podcast walked on screen in ghostbusters afterlife i thought one of us we've made it one of us has made it to the big screen
0: You just reminded me of my favorite ever Australian character that pops up in a movie is Mm. a movie called The Chernobyl Diaries, which I think is from the guy that did Paranormal Activity. It's like a horror movie where they go to Chernobyl. It's like one of those adventure tourist trips. And Mm. Nathan Phillips is in it from Wolf Creek and other Uh, great Aussie classics. Great uh, Aussie actor. Mm -hmm. He's playing an Aussie going this adventure tourism trip and someone's phone goes missing. And they accuse him. And he goes, oh, yeah, mate, come on, play Spot the Convict.
1: Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. So that is a, an expression <laughs> that I've never heard before. But they're acting no. as if it's a really famous thing that we all say down here.
0: And it's also such a line written by someone who's not Australian. Because I would say day-to-day life...
1: We don't really even think of ourselves as a convict nation. You know, no. we are, we're more than that. We're the oldest, we're, melting we're, we're the oldest nation on the fucking, on this little rock, this little mm-hmm. third rock from the sun that we call mm-hmm. earth.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and as so does Joseph gordon Lever and so mm. does John Lithgow. All those guys love to call this place Third Rock from the Sun. And one of the most interesting things that's ever happened in the history of this Third Rock from the Sun mm. is a little movie called Fast Times at Ridgemont High, coming out in the summer of 1982. Mm. We, mm. you and I, are so at home talking about teen movies. It's yeah, probably yeah, yeah. one of our most favourite topics in cinema to talk about teen films, teen representation in cinema and how people try to define a generation mm. artistically at the very start of how that generation is being shaped. Yeah. And I think Fast Times at Richmond High is one of those films that is a bit of a generation-defining film.
1: Absolutely. I mean, you've got, you've got two, I guess, titans of the teen genre at the helm of this. You've got Monsieur Cameron Crowe
0: Oh, of course, one your namesake.
1: Fam- My namesake. I was named Do you there. also
0: feel Cameron pride when you see his name pop up at the yep. credits of a film? Yep. And
1: same thing when I watch Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I go, wow, we're up there. We're <laughs> out there. You can find us. A bunch of sad, sack Camerons. We're out there. Um, you know, Cameron Crowe, one of the most famous teenagers of all time. The guy mm-hmm. was a freaking teen journo for Rolling Stone. The guy got to interview his heroes his idols he got to live a life that i would have dreamed of having Mm. and then a couple of years outside of high school he says you know what i'm going back i had such a crazy ass time on the road i didn't get to experience high school i'm getting back in that uniform i'm enrolling i'm doing the hsc (laughs) <laughs> and he went back to high school to write the book that would become the screenplay for this film. I haven't even mentioned the director of this film yet, Amy Heckling, one of the, mm-hmm. like, obvi- a fantastic director. But, I mean, our generation largely knows her from Clueless, which is the other iconic teen uh, bit of cinema that exists out there in the world.
0: And this is her directorial debut. debut. Am I going to say, what a freaking debut? Mm. I think it poises Amy Heckling to be one of the great mainstream comedy directors of all time.
1: Yes, it rules. This movie rules. Of all the movies that we've watched so far, this is the one that I feel most relaxed watching. I mm. go, oh, cool. This is chill.
0: I think one thing that this film has that the others don't is... Spicoli. I mean, obviously has Spicoli. <laughs> and I would say it's unique in that regard because all the other films don't have Spicoli, but There's all the no films Spicoli. that come after Fast Times, they yeah. all have a Spicoli have character a Spicoli. in it afterwards. <laughs>
1: they have a Spicoli,
0: yeah. But this There's so a far... decade after this film where every film has a Spicoli-esque character. <laughs>
1: there are some films where every character is Spicoli.
0: Half-baked, every character is a Spicoli. <laughs> <laughs> Pineapple Express, literally every character is a Spicoli. <laughs> Zuberman's pretty much a Spicoli flick too, I'd say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Spicoli. it's Spicoli
1: cinema. That's my favorite new genre of cinema, by the way. Spicoli <laughs> cinema.
0: We love Spicoli, Spicoli spectaculars, you know? That's what we really love
1: but i interrupted you you were saying this film has something that all mm. the other films you've watched so far do not have
0: i would say this one is the most that feels more in line with like the previous era of filmmaking the mm. now collapsed american new wave movement mm. i feel like this is the one that captures some of that Otura spark that kind of authenticity as something that is highly important to the expression of this film and trying to capture some kind of sense of an expressed reality, not a, Mm. not naturalism, not reality, but a version of the truth. Uh, And I think that is kind of like what the secret is with fast times at Ridgemont high that makes it stand out so much in this summer and why it kind of stands apart to, some of the other teen movies that come after it, like all the John Hughes films and that kind of more sanitized Reagan-era teen films. This one even feels... Like, 1982 feels too early for this film to exist. It feels like Mm. such a later film every time I come to it. But I think it's because it has its heart so much still in that auteurist new wave movement.
1: Yeah, I read uh, an interview with the... Great and honourable Judge Reinhold, um, and he, <laughs> court court was in session, and I, I had to read the <laughs> had to read the interview, and he said that You read it from a stenographer's uh, yes, transcript, yes. I presume. Yeah, I read this, I read the court report. Um, he said that he thought. I mean, this is like you know. 1982, the kind of like John Hughes model hadn't kicked in yet. So when he was auditioning for this role, in his head, it was like American Graffiti or mm. um, or an Altman movie. So he was like, totally. I, I kind of thought this was going to be like a 70s character study, like we're floating around the different people sort of movie. Um, and I think it is. I think it's more in line with those movies than it is the teen comedy genre like it's 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 also more of a drama than any of those Mm. movies it does have a lot of comedy in it that all these guys bring including judge reinhold who is a very funny dude but
0: yeah let the record show judge is funny
1: the judge is funny lock him up throw away the Mm -hmm. key it's no objections
0: from me your honor (laughs) judge is funny (laughs)
1: which is <laughs> <Just> really funny <laughs> But uh, it's like the comedy moments And there are like the obviously big set pieces There's a whacking mm-hmm. off scene in this movie It feels like those They got extrapolated and turned into The sum of the teen mm. comedy genre In the late 80s And then of course in the 90s again But this movie they, Those moments are just seasoning On what is essentially a Altman-esque character study Through high school about um sad people, really. Like, it's just about sad teens.
0: And it feels like the necessary stepping stone between American Graffiti and Dazed and Confused. This feels like the step that needs to happen in the mm. middle to kind mm. of blend the comedy and the, the mainstream comedy and the kind of character based uh, floaty non-narrative movements to get to all the point of like Dazed and Confused which is a blending of comedy but really heavy on the floating no narrative type uh, display and structure.
1: I'd love to watch all three of those movies at a movie marathon.
0: Oh, and you have to be like sixteen years old.
1: Okay, I'll go undercover. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that would be so cool if we could go undercover in high school mm. and write mm. a freaking book about it.
1: I could maybe go undercover as a teacher.
0: Wow. I think I could do a student. I think I could absolutely be a student again.
1: Oh dude, I don't know. Don't know what to th- I don't know how what to say. I don't know how to tell you this. You couldn't do it. this is how you do it. You could maybe work in the library or something.
0: I think this is how it would work. You're a teacher there. You're set up already as a teacher. And then you go, class, we've got a new student here. And, by the way, he's about to come in. No one mentioned he has a tremendous issue with growth hormones. <laughs> He's had growth hormones that have spasmed <laughs> within his body, creating hair to pop out of really strange places. And an aged appearance, only slightly. He could still play a teenager in a movie <laughs> if he wanted to. But here he is. Please welcome Alexei Toliopoulos. Don't Google him either, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Should I say you have Jack disease? He's got Jack syndrome.
1: (laughs) And no, that doesn't mean he jacks off all day long, guys.
0: Okay. okay, Can you stop assuming all these things about this kid?
1: (laughs) But he probably does because he's a team just like you guys. But he does
0: have Jack disease. And he can barely control himself.
1: He'll be dead soon, I think. I can't remember that movie. Does he die in that
0: movie? He, he graduates. I know <laughs> he, he graduates. graduates, and he, graduates and he looks and he's old. He's old as old. <laughs> he's he old looks mighty luck. old. <laughs> <laughs> Looking like freaking Bicentennial man at the end of his days. At the end of <laughs> <laughs> Jack. Oh my god! All right, look,
1: we need to stop. We need to stop riffing. We need to get fucking serious here. We're talking about a serious movie.
0: We're talking about an all-time classic. Let's get into fast times at Ridgemont High.
1: Is this necessary? That was my skull. I'm so wasted. Is this proper? What is it that gets
0: inside your heads? <laughs> is this educational? Awesome. No, but it sure is fun. Hey bud, let's party. See Fast Times at Ridgemont High, where only the rules get busted. Rated R. Starts Friday, August 20th at theatres in your area. Check newspapers for a short time. Now Cameron, to kick off the discussion, you have gone out into the wickedly wild web to find a synopsis for this film that's right gang it's time for our favorite segment love
1: that like line and I have gone uh, I've gone to your favorite website letterboxed.com.
0: Wow thank and, you so much for visiting yeah. hopefully you enjoyed your stay here uh
1: yeah it's it's fine yeah it's it's, a, it's all good if I'm honest I do have a few notes I don't like the color of the background that sort of slate gray I'm not a fan mm. of it. And if I could pass on any uh, notes to the, uh, to the web devs that work over mm-hmm. at Letterboxd, if we could update that to a nicer, like a, I think a lighter color. Um, you know, just a light, no. a cream, a beige, no, no. you know, a, an off-white, you know, an ivory.
0: You know. I would say the beauty of the dark scale of the Letterboxd color grid is that it is safe, for nighttime reading, which is most of the time that I spend on Letterboxd, is in my last minutes before I wander off into the world of Nod. And if it were a brighter color, a white, a freaking sand, or even mm. a beige, mm. that would be lighting up my face, my skin, and I would soaking in you. Latte, wait, now we're talking a little bit, baby, a cappuccino, a cafe, <laughs> then that's more in the realm of what I can read at night.
1: Yeah, well, I have a suggestion, not for the web devs or the webmasters mm-hmm. over at Letterboxd, but for you. And that is to not read websites right before you go to bed. I read a book. I read a book. I do read book too. You do not. You don't know how to read book.
0: I only know how to read UV rays. I can I can only read illuminated texts.
1: I actually just got a Kindle. and um, Really? Yes, I love it. I think it's awesome. I'm slamming through books. I'm currently reading, uh, I just finished Bob Odenkirk's memoir Mm -hmm. and I'm currently reading Seth Rogen's one.
0: Oh, cool. Yeah. I want to read that book.
1: And I read Mel Brooks's one as well recently. So I'm just slamming the funny fuckers. These funny fuckers and their funny fucking
0: lives. Oh, this has got quite a few funny fuckers in this movie. Cameron Pretel, what's the synopsis for Fast Times at Richmond High?
1: Fast Times at Richmond High, 1982, directed by Amy Heckling. Fast cars, fast girls, fast carrots. Fast carrots? That's the tagline that uh, Letterboxd have given us.
0: Well, there is a scene where Mm. someone simulates a blowjob, also known as head oral stimulation Mm. and getting sucked off and copping the dome uh, in this movie on carrots. So that's a great tagline.
1: (laughs) Okay. Fast Times follows a group of high school students growing up in Southern California, based on the real-life adventures chronicled by Cameron Crowe. Stacy Hamilton and Mark Ratner are looking for a love interest, and are helped along by their older classmates Linda Barrett and Mike Damone, respectively. The centre of the film is held by Jeff Spicoli, a perpetually stoned surfer dude who faces off with the resolute Mr. Hand, who is convinced that everyone is on dope.
0: Okay, it's an interesting tagline. I think that it is mighty hard to write a tagline for, uh, like we've been describing this, a floaty, plotless, largely plotless mm. movie or an ensemble picture because you have to pick certain elements to choose. And I think they did try to summarise the plot, so I applaud them on that. But <clears> I think <throat> with Fast Times at Ridgemont High, it is a movie so steeped in its, in its vibe. Vibe is at the centre vibe Mm. is the is how one would describe this movie be so hard to describe the plot so i commend letterboxd but also you know it's a tough way to write about this movie and i would never have attempted it that way
1: i would have said this fast times is about the lives loves lusts and losses of a bunch of high school teens in southern california rock and roll baby
0: Love that second sentence, especially about the rock and roll, baby. (laughs) Because I think one of the great things about Fast Times, it is in the title. It is about how fleeting youth is, how things move so freaking Hmm. fast. You don't even have a second to think and develop your own fucking personality before you're trying to fit in with everybody else and do what you expect and think you should be doing, especially in the realm of... The human body and coyness Mm, and mm. having fast times with your potential playmates and stuff. Um, Oh, yuck. That was the most disgusting way I could have described that. Yuck. Potential playmates. You have to edit that out. (laughs) That's so disgusting.
1: (laughs) That stays. Yuck,
0: yuck, yuck. The
1: kid stays in the picture.
0: (laughs) No. Yuck. I would say paramours or or potential... We he already know now that Sounds you disgusting.
1: you you call sexual partners playmates.
0: <laughs> Yuck. I was <clears> trying <throat> to be kid friendly because it's a teen episode. A nice teenager could be listening to this, and I was trying no, to no. The they're all grotty. They're all grubs. Oh, but, hey, no, by the way, here's words.
1: here's how I would write it. I, I want to rewrite my one. I'd go, <clears throat> and I'm writing this for the back of a video because this is 1982. It goes. Yeah, it's a VHS. Hey. It goes, hey, grandpa, put this down. This ain't for you. And then it goes dot dot dot. Okay, now that grandpa's put the video down, this <laughs> shit's for the real kids. <laughs> this is a movie that has sex in it. This is a movie that has jacking off in it. This is a movie about getting stoned and getting laid and getting through high school. Grandson, granddaughter, pop this in the video player, you're gonna have a hell of a good time. Peace. Oh, Peace that out. is
0: good stuff. I would even put the legendary Roger Ebert review on there as the pull quotes. Because Ebert, you know, he's one of the great mm. critics. He's mm. the most famous critic of all time. This, his review for this movie is one of the most tone-deaf, out-of-touch, out-of-whack reviews mm. ever. The first sentence is as creepy as Playmates. How could they do this to Jennifer Jason Leigh? How could they put such a fresh and cheerful person in such a scuzz pit of a movie? And he just goes on about like how this is vulgar and in poor taste, and if it were directed by a man, it would be considered sexist. But I think this movie like captures so much of the honesty of people's teenage lives, and I think that's mm. what he interprets as vulgar and sexist.
1: Well, let's dive in, because I think uh, that's a really good point here, which is, um, and it's something that we've covered a little bit when we've discussed Days and Confused in the past and a couple of other teen films that we really enjoyed. and, and that, There's something that feels incredibly honest about the, the characters in this movie. They right. don't feel like archetypes. I suppose, in a way, they are. But, for, but for example, Brad, the character played by the Honourable Judge Reinhold,
0: all um, rice.
1: He is cool and popular and well liked and he has a girl and you know he he like likes his job at the restaurant and stuff. But there's something like he's not a traditionally cool leading character in these sorts of movies. And when you look at Judge Reinhold, you'd think he'd be cast as like the dork or the like mm. the nebbish or something like that, but he's I kind of like the idea that they're like, hey, look, this guy's cool just because he's just like normal. When you look at teen comedies, they kind of hate their jobs. They resent having to go work at the burger Mm. place and whatnot. But he like loves it. He's employee of the month and he enjoys it there. And he kind of loves the social element of it all. I find him as a lead character really kind of funny and fascinating. I'm like drawn in every time I watch it.
0: And he's the right level of dorky. Like, he is a bit of a loser. He's got these grand plans like, oh, he's going to finally hook up and have sex with his girlfriend of two years, but then he's going to dump her so he can have more experience at being young. But she dumps him before any of that can happen, and he's just kind of sat in this loser, slightly sad, mopey way for the rest of the movie. Even mm. though he's cool, he's really well-liked. He's so nice. I think he's such... It's one of the great brother-sister relationships in this movie between him and Jennifer Jason Lee. Even though there's just only little moments of it, but I think so much of his character when he drops his sister at what he thinks is a, her trip to a bowling alley... But it's actually her going to get an abortion. When he realizes what's going on and he waits in the car park Mm. for her, I think that is like such a beautiful character moment that like speaks to like the kind soul of who this guy is. There's no doubt he's a nice guy, but to see that warmth and that love from Mm. a teen character in a movie still feels so unique and surprising and like one of the actual things about fast times that feels like it is stuck there and hasn't transmuted to that many teen films afterwards especially in this freaking decade
1: yeah there's a few this this character in this movie and a few of the other ones are some of the only times i think that i've seen like popularity or like a cool Mm. well-liked person also be a really nice person for the most part. I mean, I know he's a bit of a prick. He's a bit of a prick. He's like a teen prick. Mm. But but for the most yeah. part, he's pretty kind. Um, and I, I kind of love that. You don't see that very often. Usually the well-liked people are the villains in these sort of movies. And, uh, and like the nerds are the heroes. The, the like unlovable, unfuckable nerds are the heroes. Mm. So, it's kind of cool just to see he's a normal dude who's pretty nice to his sister. It's really sweet. He's good.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I think, as well, like what you said, this movie has such a great marriage of character written the script, beautiful dialogue. Cameron Crowe has one of the most astounding ears for dialogue, because I think he hears real things that people say and then is able to find, like, the poeticism in them that translates so nicely to cinema, the guy writes lines and dialogue that can be some... like, can sum up a movie in, like, one line. There's so much of that from him. You know, I often think about Jerry Maguire, Almost Famous. I think this movie is much the same as well in just, like, bringing teen... teen language, teen dialogue to life, and then it's marrying that with great direction... And then allowing the characters, the actors, to have some kind of ownership of their characters and really find who they are that I think makes it unique. Like, these aren't like, you know, the performances aren't harrowing performances. They're not deep characters, but they're really rich characters because it's just mm. an actor being able to have so much ownership of that role and bring either part of themselves or find nuances in the character themselves that I think are so that worked to like make this film like such an enduring classic because it feels so rare when young people get those opportunities to be discovered and then have ownership of likely one of their very first characters.
1: Do you think, um, I mean, I've never read the book. That actually might be a fun little experiment. If I buy the book on my new Kindle, you know, give a few bucks to Bezos. And uh...
0: I think that's possible because it seems long out of print, but I reckon it could be on Kindle.
1: Because, um, I mean, how much of this do you think is like verbatim dialogue that he sort of heard while he was doing that creepy undercover student thing?
0: Well, one thing that I heard from... I was watching some of the documentaries and stuff on this, and I can't remember if it was Cameron Crowe himself saying it, or Art Linson, the producer. And God, we freaking love Art Mm, Linson mm, on this podcast. mm, mm, mm. But uh, he was talking about how if you see it once... And then if you see it again, if you see it three times, it's a thing that is existent in young people at that time. And he talked about how he saw the people sniffing the exam sheets uh, for good luck or for whatever a few times. Mm. He was like, okay, that's a thing. And so that's something that he puts in. So I think it would be quite a bit of his actual observations coming to it. And so much of these characters are based on real people that he Mm. met at his time going back to school um, and even like trying to mix them up a little bit. The one that kind of comes out most like the person in real life is the Mark Rat. Ratna character who mm. is based on a real guy um whose nickname was also the rat and he was hurt by this for a while because he felt like his character was the only one who all his negative traits were accentuated like his nebbishness mm. and all that stuff and uh all the rest were kind of like got away scot free but i think he grew to love it eventually but i think at first he was a little bit caught caught by it off guard by it but Watching the movie again, the Mark Ratner character played by Brian Backer, I just love that performance mm, so mm. much.
1: Totally, And I you love wouldn't it.
0: believe this, Cameron. You wouldn't believe this. Before mm. this movie came out, Brian Backer had won a Tony for playing the young Woody Allen type in Woody Allen's play <laughs> in 1981. Would you, could you possibly believe that? I couldn't. I couldn't.
1: That's a surprise to me. Did you know that the real guy... Went on to create those for dummies books. Isn't that freaking insane? PCs for dummies, the internet for dummies. So I think once you start making millions off that, you'd be like, oh yeah, I don't really give a fuck about
0: Cameron Crowe's movie. Cool. You'd it start just endorsing it. It a weird part of his origin story. Yeah, guess,
1: yeah, exactly. It sort of becomes your humble beginnings. It's exciting. Um, but I wonder about all the other ones too. Like, are these based on real people, or are they just amalgams of people? Are they archetypes? I just want to know how much reality there is to this origin story. Did he actually spend a year um, enrolled at a school, or did he just go like five times, like Chris Lilly did during Summer Heights High, and then <laughs> and then just make shit up? I just there's so much. I have so many questions about the story behind the movie that I, I don't know if I'll ever really get answers to, but I'm fascinated by it.
0: I actually think that would be the excellent reboot idea would be a movie about Cameron Crow going back to high school and writing this book.
1: <laughs> That's a pretty cool idea. It didn't Never Been Kissed kind of riff on that. That was... um I guess so. The plot of Never Been Kissed is that she's a journalist who re-enrolls in high school to... Write an article or some shit? Is that what that's about? Yeah.
0: I think... I've actually never seen Never Been Kissed, so I don't know.
1: (laughs) I think it's like riffing on the Cameron Crowe myth. But I'd love to see a Cameron Crowe reboot version of this. And we have the journalist character in the movie. And it's played by
0: you. (laughs) And you're my teacher friend helping me out.
1: I'm Mr. Hand. And you have to keep explaining that you have Jack disease the whole way through the Mm. movie.
0: (laughs) And I'm learning more about Jack disease to play it quite real. <laughs> I also love Jennifer Jason Lee. I think this mm. is like such a great young performer. She's 20 years old, and I think there's so much in the casting of her because she has like such a cherubic, like young face. She looks like a girl, not a woman. And I yeah, think what, there's she's so much to be in like that 15
1: in, like... or something, right? She's... Yeah,
0: and I th- she kind of looks it captures... it. She looks so young, but I think it captures so much of like that youthful energy and the kind of, the real like shy uncertainty of mm. growing up. I just think that she's fem- phenomenal in this movie. It's one of my favorite like teenage characters, uh, like the kind of sadness around her the trying to fit in around it, the sweetness of it, but... One thing I wish I had... I kind of wish I'd seen this movie young. I only saw it probably for the first time a couple of years ago. And when I go back to it, I see so much of like my nostalgia of what it was like... You know, to freaking pop my cherry and to hang out at the mall and stuff. Mm. And that kind of interesting aspect of everyone's got their first jobs... And they're all kind of around each other. And I love that aspect of this movie... And I would wish I had seen this when I was like thirteen or fourteen years old. So I think these movies land in such a different way when you're a kid, and you s- you're watching movies about people that are just a couple of years <clears throat> older than you.
1: Hmm. Yeah, totally. I mean, but we we had our own version of those. We were at the right age for like you know the super
0: bad was exactly that. For
1: yeah, me. super bad and all that stuff. Or I think when I was in early high school, or no, late primary school. Um, Can't Hardly Wait was the one that I loved. And then, of course, American Pie a little bit later and Road Trip and all that stuff. Like, we we had those. We were, But I like the fact that we can look at these earlier generations of these films like Fast Times or American Graffiti or if you want to go a little grubby or Porky's because it's not our experience. Um, mm. Even Animal House, like, these are movies not only were they made in the 70s and 80s, but some of them are set in the 50s. And yeah. it's kind of fun to look at it from that distance of, this is not my era, this is not my childhood, but isn't it crazy how a lot of these experiences have clearly just happened for every generation since the dawn of time? Like, every there's just always horny teens, and there's always anxiety, and there's always, like... Desperation to fit in and feeling like you don't fit in, and all that stuff is what makes these movies timeless.
0: That's such a beautifully put point. And I think that aspect of this movie being, for the majority, set in a mall is mm. it's kind of like a new occurrence at that time, but it ties so into the ideas we've talked about previously in the last couple of episodes with E.T. and Poltergeist. These could all be set in the same freaking neighborhood with just kids of different ages.
1: Mm. Yeah, so true. I'd love to see uh, E.T. mucking around in uh, in Ridgemont High.
0: If E.T. got ripped with Spicoli, if he landed in just a mm. different backyard in that Californian mm. suburbia, that would have been quite the picture. Spielberg oh. was lucky that E.T. landed near Elliot's house. Thank
1: God, right? Because... It would have been too, too, maybe not, maybe not child friendly because Et might have been mucking around,
0: you know. Yeah, he might have been. Uh, I mean, Et looks fucking old. He's probably of age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He probably <laughs> was having a bit of fun. <laughs> um, I want to ask you, you grew up in suburbia. Mm-hmm. Was the mall like the central location for you? Was that where you would spend your time on the weekends? Absolutely.
1: I th- I've been thinking about it a lot lately, actually. The Charlestown Square Shopping Centre near my house was just the meeting point where you'd you'd meet. And I remember in high school, it was a real thing to go to Thursday night shopping. Was that a thing mm. in Sydney where you grew up?
0: Not really, because I think for us, like we had, like we would go to Broadway because it was right mm. around the corner from our school, yeah. And there was a cinema there, there was a food court there. Mm. But we, you know, we're I'm a city kid, so we would go meet at Town Hall steps, and then you just hang out in the CBD all day. Go to like Chinatown, or go get photos done at Capitol, which is like where you get those those sticker photos that look uh, like otherwise yeah. We could put little dr- animations and drawings all over them.
1: Yeah. I mean, I guess in the burbs of Newcastle, there isn't uh, like really a central location, especially when I was growing up, the city was dead. It was like Mm. famously empty. There was nothing to do in there. You could go to the beach or you could go hang out at the shopping centers. And uh, yeah, Charlestown Square was our one. There was a cinema there, food court there. I had my first job at that shopping center. My high school girlfriend worked at the Donut King. I worked at the Burger wow. King So we were kind of royalty wow, of the, the food king court. and queen Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And so we are just always there And yeah Thursday night shopping was such a um, I don't I feel like it's a really suburban experience Where the shops Like the shopping centre would be open late To like 10 And so you'd meet there after dinner And never shop But just like walk around the mall With each other for mm. like hours Like A group of like 20 teenagers just walking around and then people would splinter off and go and look at Supre or go and look at like um, a surf shop or go and sit in the food court and then you'd all meet back together again. It was just like three or four hours of wandering around a supermarket at night dressed in what you thought were your coolest clothes. And because we had no money You couldn't afford anything You'd just be like Walking around And maybe you'd get like A milkshake Or some shit It was (laughs) such a Like it's such a Defining memory Of my teenage years Is like going Alright what am I gonna wear To Thursday night shopping I hope Jess is there I would love to like Sit with Jess for a bit And try to talk to her If you had a crush on someone You'd like arrange To meet them somewhere Like meet at meet out front of, um you know, like platypus shoes or whatever and spend <laughs> a few hours walking around with her. Yeah, it was like the mall is the center of the suburbs. And when I watch this movie, I feel that all come back to me. And same with like, I mean, the mall's been the center of a lot of things lately. Stranger Things had a whole season about the mall. Every time I see it, I feel that same feeling. But having said that, I fucking hate shopping centers now. I can't stand... Spending any time in one. But when I was a teenager, that's all I wanted to do.
0: It's weird because when I go to a shopping center now or a mall now... It's that harshness of the light on the inside that really, like, mucks with me the same way that a casino does where I'm like, what time is it? I feel, Mm. like, gross. I don't feel... I feel unclean. But watching this movie, the way that, like, the interior light, like, the sparkliness of the lights, I think this is a really good-looking movie. I think it looks so beautiful.
1: They made it look amazing. That's not what a real fucking mall looks like. I mean, you just... You're exactly right. It's... They're timeless black holes they're horrible or they're incredibly fluoro there's a name for it isn't it isn't that the the gruen transfer isn't that what that is it's the is um, that what it is it's that design of like uh casinos and shopping centers so that you feel like you don't know how long you've been in there for the time passing it's like a scientific thing to make you want to stay in those places longer
0: Man, I the when coronavirus like we first got out or like we're getting our glimpses of getting out of lockdown last year, um, I had to go to the shop to the mall to get my phone fixed at the Apple store. And I remember taking my phone in, they're going, It'll take us like three or four hours. I was like, Okay, great, I'll just go for a wander. I couldn't do anything, I couldn't leave the mall because My phone had my vaccine passport on it. (laughs) So I had to stay in the mall for like four hours just wandering around. I couldn't check into anything. So I just had to like find a place to sit in the mall for like four hours losing my freaking mind.
1: What did you do? Did you like just
0: read or what did you do? I went and bought a book because I thought, oh, great. I'll go have lunch. I'll go outside. I'll go hang out in the park or whatever or go wander around. I couldn't do that. So, I went to buy a book. I almost couldn't buy the book because I couldn't check into the bookstore there.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Nothing. I I can't stand shopping centers these days. My God. They're just horrible. But yeah, I, I went back to Charlestown Square a few weeks ago when I was in Newcastle and just... I, I got to say, like, the, the, the mall's been extended a lot now. It looks like every other mm. shopping center in the world, but there's part of it that's still what it was in the 90s when I was and the, and the 2000s. And I do feel something when I go in there. I feel like, man, this is where I just spent all my teenage years. And I I get reminders of, like, all the little crushes that I had and all the, the flurry of emotions that you have when you are a teenager. And part of me misses that because you don't get them when you're grown up, you know, like they, yeah. all those endorphins get spent up by the time you're 17. And then, <laughs> and then now when I felt
0: joy for years, <laughs> no, of course not.
1: <laughs> like even like you, you love people and you, you get excited about things, but it is fucking nothing compared to what it used to be when you were
0: 16. <laughs> Absolutely. And, like, you know, the first time you fall in love, that feeling is so intense. It's live or die. You cry thinking about stuff. You like get so angry or Mm. so upset by things and feel so powerfully. And then, you know, when you grow up, like those emotions, they're not dulled, but I think you just understand them more. And I think Fast Times is a really good movie at expressing that exact feeling of these emotions are really raw. You grow to understand them as you get older.
1: Well, that's what I love about this movie and about this genre is that it's a. Real distillation of all those feelings, and um, and we get to relive them again by watching it a little bit. I mean, yeah. this movie. I mean, the the one guy who probably gets off scot free in this movie, emotion wise, is Spicoli. He doesn't really suffer much. He just kind of gets uh, has to deal with the disciplinary side of school. But uh, but even him, I'm like. God, I remember being like sort of like a dipshit and kind of carefree and having a weird semi-friend, semi-enemy relationship with some of my teachers. Mm. I can still relate to that guy too.
0: And I think the Spicoli character, played by Sean Penn... I really think it's one of the best method performances of all time because it's the rare example of um, the method being applied to a comedic character and accentuating the reality of a comedic character who reads like a sketch character. But I think it's like that perfect balance between a weird, one-note, odd sketch character that you would find in Wayne's World later, uh, but with, like, the method applying this reality to it and giving, like, an actual nuanced life to the character, I think it's truly spectacular and it holds up so much watching this movie.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's so... It's no wonder he was the breakout character.
0: He's so funny. It's, um...
1: Yeah, it's... it's. I normally get annoyed by method actors. Or maybe Mm. annoyed's the wrong word. Maybe I just get, like... I roll my eyes a bit at the idea of the method. Um... And then every now and then I watch someone who does it and I just go, oh, yeah, there is a reason for it. Like certain people wield it in a way that it is worthy, you know. Like it is very funny to me that he would spend an entire movie in character as this fucking dipshit stoner when he probably could have half assed it and it would have been Mm. as good. But but I mean maybe it maybe it wouldn't have. I don't know. He's he's really good in it. He's really funny. Well,
0: he has to apply his acting method, which is that kind of Strasbourgian uh uh way of doing it, and that it just works. I think it's Spicoli is one of the great team characters of all time.
1: Yeah, I know, totally. And 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 you're right, it's so rare to see a like comedy method actor. Who else does it? Maybe Sasha Baron Cohen. Um, is that it? I can't think of anyone else.
0: Well, it could be Robert De Niro and Meet the Parents, maybe.
1: Do you reckon he, do you reckon De Niro turns off the method when he's doing a comedy movie? Like, does he the become early... Dirty Grandpa?
0: <laughs> please put Dirty Grandpa on my door so I can go, I know which is my actual, <laughs> my actual green room to go into. Nobody um... call me
1: Robert, please only refer to me as Dirty
0: Grandpa. Dirty <laughs> Grandpa. Not even Bobby. I won't even answer to Bobby today. (laughs) I remember reading that uh, he said yes to doing Rocky and Bullwinkle. The first kind of shitty step in his decline um, Mm. was he chose that film because he wanted to see what it would be like to apply his method of acting to a cartoon character. And let Mm. me tell you, it sucked ass. He's not good in the movie. (laughs)
1: i mean i don't i can't think of anyone else who's really done it i i think it's really cool but yeah um
0: maybe I mean, michael richards as kramer
1: mm, interesting that feels
0: like that kind of lived in thing like he never broke character yeah my god that character is so funny
1: <laughs> I know it's so obvious to say, but fuck, Kramer is the funniest fucking thing, <laughs> isn't yeah. it? It's so I funny. think everyone
0: goes through those steps as they go through Seinfeld. They're like, "Oh, Kramer is the funniest." When you're watching it as a kid, yeah. Then you come back and go, "Actually, Jason Alexander. It's yeah. a masterclass performance." And then you go, "Hang on a sec, Julia." Louis Dreyfus, she's fucking amazing as a main. Then you go full psycho, you're like, Kramer is the shit, man. He rocks. (laughs) Kramer fucking rocks. He
1: whips ass, dude. He's so funny. He makes everything funny. He's so good. He's funny with his whole body. He's funny with his hair. Yes, He's the best. His hair is hilarious.
0: (laughs) His hair is funnier than most fucking comics ever will be.
1: It's just so funny that it's now... The year is 2022, and we're going like, man, Kramer is so funny.
0: (laughs) Kramer's the shit, man. Kramer fucking rules, man. Kramer rocks my jocks,
1: dude. Oh, my
0: God. Should we give away a couple of Oscars to this film, Cameron?
1: Yes, indeed. Let's give away a character actor Oscar. Uh, And this film has quite a few little character actors in it a few future stars, a few stars of old. But we would love to get. You've got, got Taylor give, uh...
0: Negron popping oh, up, yeah. oh delivering the pizza.
1: Love that. Love We've got uh, you get um, Pamela Springsteen, Bruce Springsteen's sister, is in this
0: film. Yes. Of course she's the star of uh, Sleepaway Camp 2 mm-hmm, mm-hmm, That's true You uh, get uh... Also Ray Walston As Mr. Hand. Oh, He's a yes, classic yes, yes. He's the Martian in the original sitcom My Favourite Martian He's in The Apartment <laughs> Which Amy Heckling later remakes as Loser
1: Indeed, indeed. I did not like Loser at the time, but then I revisited it a few years ago and really liked it. Um, Nicholas Cage pops up for two seconds in this movie, which is a bit of fun. But I think we need to give it uh, to that, that the weirdest looking fella in maybe the the entire character actor annals.
0: Hmm. Vincent, Vincent Schiavelli. Schiavelli, who is, of course, playing Mr Vargas in this movie, the science teacher. I, I honestly would put Vincent Schiavelli top five character actors of all time. Easy for me, easy, easy. Mm, He's who mm, I think mm. of when I think of character actors. He has such a signature, instantly recognisable look. He has such a sad face. Uh, he mm. was diagnosed with Marfan syndrome in childhood, which explains some of his uh, interesting features. Uh, but he is probably best known for this one: for the Cuckoo's Nest. He mm-hmm. plays the Subway Ghost in yep. Ghost.
1: That's what I picture when I when I picture him. I picture Ghost. And Mm -hmm. Batman Returns. And I just... I think uh, he fucking rules. I love his look. I love his vibe. Um, I love the sadness of him. I just... Yeah, it's always cool to see him pop up in something.
0: And I very vividly remember seeing him pop up in the... In Memoriam at the Oscars. Mm. When he popped up I was like oh my god Vincent Chiavelli died that was how I found out in 2006 would have been that early Oscars and I remember just being like so shocked by it because I think he was one of those character actors I knew by name at that point as a teenager and just Thought he was so weird and so interesting I was always drawn to him and looking reading about him in the last couple of days re-watching this movie he wrote like four cookbooks he moved back to Sicily where his family was from and lived in Sicily in his later years writing cookbooks popping up in a few movies here and there and the last film that I remember seeing him in, which was, I think maybe his second last film is this great Italian film called in English is translated to the golden door, but is known as the new world, nuovo mondo, which is like this kind of surreal drama film based on like a migration. So it's all set on the ship that is migrating to America. Um, it's a great movie. I've been l- wanting to revisit it for quite some time, but that was his last film. Uh, the Golden Door, great actor Vincent Schiavelli.
1: We love you, Vinny. We We're glad you're cool. we could
0: give you that freaking Oscar, dudes.
1: We got to give you that an Oscar for a very special moment, um, uh, and maybe a moment that is a rarity. This is mm-hmm. because you've watched it. You watched an alternate cut of this movie. Is that right?
0: Yes, I watched the new Criterion Collection uh, release of this film, which is a restored director's vision cut. And there is Mm. something quite iconic that was taken out of the movie for its release, uh, which is a moment of full frontal male nudity. We're talking a hog was on display. And this mm. movie has a few moments of female full frontal nudity, some that are quite iconic. Of course, the Phoebe Cates scene, who is, Phoebe Cates is fantastic in this movie, mm. so freaking funny. But that scene is known for. For in its VHS times, uh, having tracking on all the ex rental copies because people would be pausing it so much. Mm. And it's like actually, it's a known thing that has been reported that all that scene has so much tracking all over them if you have like old VHS rental copies. Uh, but there is a moment of full frontal nudity when Damone and uh, played by Robert Romanus and Jennifer Jason Lee. Have sex with each other, you see his penis.
1: Mm, mm. And that's kind of rare for like a a mainstream film of that time to show
0: Dong. It wasn't even allowed in because it was going to get the film its X rating. So they had to choose between that and one of the other moments, and they ended up having to be forced with one of the female full frontal moments to be kept in in exchange for that one disappearing uh, to keep it from getting an X rating so teens wouldn't be able to see it. Brutal you gotta show more dongs out there Absolutely I think every film should have one dong in it no matter what even if they have to cut it in freaking Tyler Durden style, every film should have dongs in it.
1: Yep, I agree one dong per film we're not asking for much. Not
0: much. That's why we have so much respect for the Disney animated, uh, Disney animators that would sneak those little tricky dogs into those movies.
1: Yes, we have a lot of respect for that. And for the Simpsons movie for showing Bart's dong.
0: Oh, of course. Bart's pecker in the Simpsons movie. One of cinema's most shocking moments in film history. <laughs> I'll never forget that moment seeing Bart's Pecker on the big screen. I'll never forget it as long as I live. As long as I live, as long as my days continue to roll over, Bart's Pecker will be often in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you think it's the wackest thing you've ever seen in a movie? I hate it. Like, no matter it. what crazy surrealist shit you've seen, the decision to put Bart's Pecker in the movie yeah. will always strike me as one of the strangest.
1: I truly, truly
0: detested it. Detested it? You cut the balls off <laughs> Give your own private cut of the film? <laughs> you detested him? That was a stretch.
1: Much like <laughs> I stretched the dick out, I made it bigger <laughs> in my cut too. <laughs> <laughs> I made the pecker bigger. So what?
0: <laughs> Big whoop, everyone's done it. <laughs> whoop de do Basil.
1: Well, I'd love to see this dong cut, but uh, tragically, I do not have a Blu-ray player, so I can't watch yeah. it. I'll never see it. You'll have to come over Damone's and watch it with dong. me sometime. Yeah, maybe. Or put
0: put <laughs> Damone's dick up on the big screen. you are be like,
1: wait a second, I don't know Blu-rays could get tracking. Why is there a lot of tracking on this thing? <laughs> what the heck?
0: What have you been doing? It just comes up with an error message, this disc has been watched too many times at this exact point of the movie. <laughs>
1: Uh, let's talk reboots We already briefly discussed an idea I actually think that is the idea I think I'd mm. love to see a sort of like Making of story A biopic about Cameron Crowe yeah. Going back to write this film But the way I would do it Is he's living the teen life By day and then by night He's making the movie So we're seeing mm. it get made and remade Almost like a, a Charlie Kaufman type yeah. film you know
0: or I'll like a Matt it. Johnson movie the dirty oh, is yes. kind of yeah, like yeah, if this Matt was a Matty Johnson film maybe Maddie Johnson plays the freaking uh, Cameron Crow. They kind of look similar I could see that that's a bit of fun but
1: uh did you know that this is one of those ridiculous films that got given a, a tv spin-off in the 80s is that true? That's another one of my little obsessions is um, movies that got given a TV sitcom off in the 80s like Weird Science and uh, Ferris, Ferris Bueller. Bueller. There's a lot of them. There's so many. And I sometimes go through a little phase of watching the pilot episodes of these shows. because What's usually? this like? Well, I watched the pilot of this one. Um, and I'll be mm. completely honest with you. It's a 23-minute Pilot, and I think I got 17 minutes in and went, Yeah, okay, that's enough. That's I have more valuable time. I could go and like do a wow. quick shit, and that would be better than watching <laughs> the rest of this. But
0: the next six minutes of my life can yeah. be spent either shitting or watching this. Yeah,
1: just shitting. But uh, there's two holdovers from the film Vincent Schiavelli reprises his oh. role as Mr. Vargas, and Ray Walston reprises his role as Mr. Hand. The rest of the cast is made up of all new actors, some of whom are actually quite well-known. Courtney Thorne-Smith plays Stacy. Courtney Thorne-Smith is uh, probably better known from Melrose Place and uh, Ally oh, McBeal. Yeah. Um, Patrick Dempsey plays Damone. So, you know, McDreamy wow. from Grey's Anatomy.
0: God, McDreamy. Good lord.
1: And uh Claudia Wells plays Linda. Claudia Wells is uh who I mean I know her best as the original Jennifer in Back to the Future. And then mm-hmm. Spicoli is played by a guy called Dean Cameron, who I was like, who the fuck is Another this? Another Cameron. Another guy got starstruck by him. Like, holy shit, we made it. We did it. He's just a working actor, but he's probably better known from uh Playing, like, Spicoli rip-offs in 80s comedies like Ski School oh and gosh. Summer School and stuff like that.
0: Summer School. Oh, my gosh.
1: So weird. So, I watched the uh, I watched most of the pilot. The score is done by Oingo Boingo.
0: Oh, man. I love the Oingo Boingo track, <laughs> uh, Goodbye, that closes out yeah, the movie.
1: That's a nice track. i for, I got to say, for the most part, I don't like Oingo Boingo. And I think mm. that... Um, they I love that they exist because they brought us some um, Danny Elfman to the world. Mm-hmm. But whenever I hear an Oingo Boingo song, I think how the fuck was this ever popular? This like circus music essentially. It's just wacky shit.
0: Mm. I guess it's that new wave shit, right? The like new people wave. just like whatever was going like, yeah, we love that new wave. <laughs> I love the 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 needle drops in this movie. I think this movie is kind of like brought to it's kind of consciousness by the Scorsese-style Mean Streets needle drops that give it so much character. Like, that track by the Go-Go's mm. that kicks off the movie, mm. I think is, like, up there with the Ronettes kicking off Mean Streets. I think it is such a perfect needle drop that gives the film its entire character.
1: Yes, and I'm uh, I'm a big sucker for that Cars song as well. Um What's it called? Moving in Stereo. I'm a big sucker mm. for that song. I think it fucking rules. There's a lot of great... There's a lot of great songs in this. It's a really good movie.
0: I think it is one of the great teen films. I think Cameron Crowe, between this and Say Anything, I think that he he captures so much of like the nuance of what it feels like to be a teenager. I think he's a real master.
1: Totally, totally. And I love Amy Heckling... And I love the cast of this movie, and it'll always be one that I watch every year or two. I reckon.
0: Mm, absolutely, absolutely, and one year you got to come over to Casa del Lex and check mm. out the Moans mm. Bone, dude. We got to see that dick on the big screen together. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much for hanging out with us Staying back for the tension after school With this beautiful episode of Total Reboot Next week, we're going to watch a film
1: That neither of us have ever watched But people rave about it We're talking about The World According to Garp The
0: 1982 classic from George Roy Hill Featuring Robin Williams in his first dramatic role
1: Mmm, Mork
0: from Orc is going serious? I don't know if I'm ready for it. I'm really looking forward to this one. It has been on my list for a while, so it's going to be nice to dive in with something a little bit in that dramatic comedy realm. We're moving a little bit further away from the genres for now, but of course this is a summer dominated by genres. We're going to be going back to the thing, we're going to be going to Blade Runner later on in this mini-series, but let's talk about The World of Korn and next. Uh, Cameron, we've got our series coming out very soon on yep. Grouse House. We yep. have the date. Present us with the date.
1: Save the date. Save the date, folks. We finally have a release date for Finding years, our long-awaited third season in our investigative comedy franchise.
0: It's now a franchise, officially. It's a franchise, and it is video, baby. It is filmic. It is audio. <laughs> it is video. It is a visual medium now.
1: It's true. If you liked Finding Drago, if you liked Finding Desperado, you were going to love Finding eases We've just finished watching all the final cuts of it. It's so good, and it's coming out on September 26 on the Grouse House YouTube channel. September 26. So
0: subscribe. Subscribe to Grouse House. Mm-hmm. It'll be coming September 26th. It'll be ready for you to watch. Uh, it is us. We made it with Auntie Donna. So if you're a fan of Auntie Donna, all those dudes pop up in it in various different ways. Yep. Uh, and there'll be some of your other comedy favorites popping up in it, in all our like little recreation stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, it is, if you like those, it's kind of a dream come true for us to make this visual version of them and find ways to translate all the things that we loved about making the podcast to being filmed items. That's Mm. what I get excited about every time I'm watching uh, the cuts again. makes me so happy. So please, check it out. Anything else you want to give a plug to, Cameron, before we wrap things up?
1: Yes, if you're in Sydney, um, I'm going to do a whole bunch of new comedy material at the uh, Sydney Fringe Festival, October 28th through to September two. Uh, It's not just me, Uh, Tom Cashman and Sam Taunton will be jumping up and doing some new stuff as well But I'd love to have you there, come along and check out You know, I've got a bunch of new jokes and new ideas for next year's show And I'll be trialling a lot of it uh, September 28th to October 2 Also, um, I'm doing Electric Dreams again around the country in November So far, the only dates I can announce are in... Tasmania. So November 17, I'm doing the show in Hobart. November 18, I'm doing it in Launceston. I've never done a solo show in Tasmania before, so if you're in Tassie and you didn't get a chance to come see my show, I'd love it if you come along to one of those two nights. And um, yeah, fuck yeah, that's it. That's all i got to plug at the moment.
0: Man, Cameron's show Electric Dreams is one of the best shows I've ever seen. And I would I would go if you've never been to Tasmania, it'd be a great time to go. Get a little something there while you're there, it'd be so sick. But also, I'd love to give a little promo to the Sydney Underground Film Festival. It's next week. It's the first time back in cinemas in person uh, since the pandemic started. I cannot wait to go. They're playing so many great movies like the new Patton Oswalt film uh, or Mr. Oswalt, if you're nasty. called I Love My Dad, which sounds freaking great. Then there's so many other cool films like Bodies, Bodies, Bodies is playing. Uh, The new film from Anna Lily Amapour, who did The Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, is the closing night film. Uh, And that's next week, Thursday the 8th to Sunday the 11th of September. And it's at Event Cinemas George Street, which is a new location for them. I'll be there all weekend, so come hang out with me there. I cannot wait to be there. And also... I wrote something really cool that has just been announced. I wrote an essay for an upcoming imprint films release of internal affairs, the Richard Gere film with Andy Garcia. It's in his big neo-noir box set, volume two of their neo-noir classics. Um, and me and Blake Howard wrote a few essays for it. So uh, it's on pre-order now. If you want to buy that, uh, I'm really happy with that essay. I was so excited to get to do something like that. Honestly, honestly, Weirdly, a dream come true for me to write an essay for a DVD release. Yeah, like a totally, All-time that's, dream. Yeah, all-time of course.
1: Dream. You would have been the dude that read all those like booklets that come out with like cool DVDs mm-hmm. and criterions. So that's cool. You're in. You're in one now.
0: Yeah, it's so sick, man. I'm really excited about it. So, Imprint does such great stuff. The Neo Noir box, are insane. This one has so many cool movies in it, like Way of the Gun, Dark, uh, Internal Affairs, uh, some real cool ones, even some I haven't seen before. So, I'm really excited to get my hands on that as well. Um, so, check it out. Pre-order it if you want. Uh, that's pretty much everything we need to talk about. Next week is The World According to Garp, and this week it was The World According to freaking Spicoli, dudes. <laughs>
1: All right, bye guys